I want to say one thing before we uh, get into the message time. Um, as, as we've been seeing God do some really cool things. This is just a neat little statistic that um, Bill Jester shared with me. Bill leads our children's ministry here, and so he and his team have been very busy with the uh, upcoming Alliance Sports Camp and all of the kids that are going to be coming in. One of the roles that we have in that, uh, in that event or that uh, week of events is huddle coach. And huddle coach is a special thing. They're, uh, they're a little bit older, sometimes adults, sometimes other students who are a little bit older, but they're actually engaging with the students and talking about their walk with Jesus and what does that mean to have a walk with Jesus. So they're, in addition to other things, that's a part of their role, very important. One of the things that Bill told me this morning just as we were talking is that of the 50 uh, huddle coaches that we have, about 40 of them are actually youth group kids or former uh, campers who have come up through. And so we were just sort of celebrating that. Isn't that awesome when we talk about wanting to bless the next generation? Like, you don't have to wait until you're 50 to bless the next generation. In fact, you don't have to wait till you're 20 to bless the next generation. But we've got people that are coming up through and that are now investing in the kids that are coming right behind them, blessing them, ministering to them, praying for them. And so we wanted just to celebrate that. Continue to pray for Alliance Sports Camp. We trust in God to do some great things uh, in this season. It's a great way for us to make a connection, uh, and we believe that God is going to do great uh, gospel work. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to be going into uh, uh, the fifth week in our series on Galatians, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3, as we've been going through this series called No Other Gospel. Uh, We're talking about last week the the joy of the finished work of Christ, that we actually have a response of joy when we think about what Christ has done for us. That is what gives you your right standing before God. It's not anything that you have done. It's the truth of the songs that we've just sung. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that we also are no longer living in fear uh, that comes when we rely on our own track record. Because if you have to stand before holy God relying on nothing but your track record, you should be afraid. Because you're in the place of having to fight for your life. In this case of the gospel, uh, we are allowing Jesus to have fought for us. And we fall on the finished work that he has achieved for us. As we read this passage in Galatians 3, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 14 today. Uh, as we begin the passage, you'll notice that there is a bit of a tone that Paul is taking as he's now getting into the meat of his message to the Galatian people. And when I thought about this, I thought it sounds in some ways sort of parental. And this is what I mean by that. Those of you who are raising kids or have raised kids, you know that a lot of parenting involves modeling Uh, and correcting. It's not the only thing you do as a parent, but you certainly do a lot of modeling. And when the time is right, you do correcting. You're trying to get the kids to understand what to do and then how to do, and then you're sort of correcting. You're getting them back on track, and you hear this tone coming across in Paul's writing. Now, I was thinking about that idea of modeling, correcting, parenting thing, and I was taken back uh, to a really sweet memory I remember taking both my boys out in the yard uh, with their little ball gloves. Max was about three years old, so his ball glove was like the size of his head. Uh, and Grant was about six years old, and both of them didn't really know what to do with the baseball. So we're throwing a little baseball around, and we're kind of uh, getting the basics of how to play catch. I mean, is there anything more father-son time, you know, sweet than that, to play, play and catch with your kid in the yard? And so I remember in modeling and instructing and saying, like, okay, you know, you don't just throw the ball like this, but like, you know, you kind of stand like this, you kind of look at your target, you 
you draw back with the ball like this and then you sort of follow through, step into the throw and everything like that. And, and I'm showing these kind of instructions to the boys and I'm watching Grant, he's kind of processing, I guess he's probably about six years old. And I see him with a look on his face, he's like, he's like real focused or whatever. And he's, he's kind of standing like this and he draws back and gets like this and he steps into the throw. And right about that mo- point, I realized that his three-year-old brother who's standing right in front of him is not looking at him at all. He's like looking down at the ground or whatever. So I was like, wait, wait, wait. Bam! He throws the ball, hits him right in the head. Max is crying and everything. And I, so I said, okay, okay. Should have maybe instructed this a little bit better. You did the steps right, but you should actually look to see if the person is looking. You know, and Grant was like, well, you didn't tell me that part, Dad. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. And, and then that, that reminded me that like one of the most common things that, that I remember hearing in the big brother, little brother injury scenarios was uh, the big brother saying, yeah, I didn't think that would hurt. You know, I, I don't think that would hurt. It's like, well, he's crying. I think it hurt, you know. So, so like we model, uh, we correct. Uh, there's certainly plenty of opportunities in that place where we're doing this. In that spirit of like correction and directing and modeling, we hear coming across in Paul's writing to the Galatians. Here's what he says in Galatians 3, uh, verses 1. We'll break this up into a couple chunks, starting with verses 1 through 6. Paul writes this. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And if you're underlining things or highlighting that phrase, that is the crux that Paul is getting after. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's pause right there for a moment. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Keep your thumb in your Bible. We're going to continue on in this passage. And I'm actually going to reference several different scriptures with you today. So if you're taking notes, you might want to just note a couple of these scriptures as what we start to see is this sort of cohesive picture of what Paul was preaching when he said, don't receive another gospel. I want you to stay rooted in the gospel of the finished work of Jesus. And we get into the meat of that in this uh, part of the letter in Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to look at sort of three things with us today that I think will help us keep uh, organized throughout the content of this message. The first point is repentance that realigns the heart. This is that sort of corrective spirit you're going to see. Repentance that realigns the heart. And then we're going to talk about the spirit that brings life and then the Savior that breaks the curse. All three things here in these first 14 verses of Galatians 3. Uh, Paul starts with five questions in in just as many verses, in fact. Uh, He begins to sort of pepper them with these questions. Uh, Who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Spirit by works? Are you so foolish? Did you suffer in vain? And the fifth one is an interesting one. Does God work miracles by the Spirit or because of your works. Again, there's that distinction. Is this a belief in the work of the Spirit and the finished work of Christ, or is this something that you're actually achieving in and of yourself? That is the book of Galatians. 
That is the tension that he is unpacking with them. This is the interesting thing about that fifth question. Does God work miracles by the Spirit or because of your works? Uh, He doesn't actually put on the table, does God work miracles? Like the understanding is that God is actually showing up in the life of the Galatian people, that God is actually on the move, that God is actually stirring among them. The question he's asking is not whether or not God is doing supernatural things, but it is how he is doing it. And he's saying, is he, is he doing that because of what you're doing in the work area, or is this something that is being received by faith? And that's sort of an interesting piece for me. I mean, it might even be a sermon in and of itself, but I think it kind of uh, asks us to, to wrestle with the question, do we see the supernatural work of God among us? And it would be easy to probably dismiss that question or just say, well, no, not really, not really, whatever. But I just said to you only moments ago, multiple conversations of people who are saying, I'm experiencing a hunger for God that we didn't have before. And God's word says, no one seeks God. So that in and of itself is an act of the supernatural work of the spirit of God. Now, sometimes I think the reason that we wrestle with this question, and maybe it would reflect or, or demand a little bit further study or reflection on our part, is that we assume that if it is a work of the Spirit, it's got to be flashy, it's got to be big, it's got to be crazy, it's got to be wild. And actually, we don't always see that to be true. Oftentimes, God works in ways that are outside of kind of our norm or the, the box that we have built for God. But oftentimes, it's the simple things of like, when God convicts me of sin, And I realize my heart needs to be realigned with him. That's a supernatural work of God. When when God answers a prayer, and we've seen healing prayer, we've seen God doing different things, relational healing, uh, physical healing. I mean, that's a supernatural work of God. When we see those things happen, we don't dismiss those. So Paul was not saying, is God working among you? He was saying, why is God working among you? And if it's because you think of your works, or is it because of the work and the Spirit received by faith? So that's the distinction that he's making. Now, Paul is using some rhetorical questions here to underscore his main point, and it sort of sounds like this. Belief, and belief is a key piece. He he, uh, underscores that with Abraham. Belief in the finished work of Jesus is better than your human efforts. In fact, it's better than your best efforts. In fact, he doesn't even say it's like, hey, a little bit better as if your best efforts are actually still pretty good. He begins to juxtapose those two things very severely in his writing and in his teaching, and we're gonna unpack that a little bit as well. But belief in the finished work of Jesus is better than our best efforts. When you think about passages like Romans 8, In Romans 8, that's a beautiful passage of Scripture that begins talking about there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So this is is his message. This is what he's trying to unpack in the gospel. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. And listen how he describes us, that is those people who are in Christ today. He says, us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That is Galatians 101. That's the message that he's trying to lead them back to. So they've gotten off track with this. 
They're trying to complete in the flesh the work that began in the spirit. And so Paul is saying that you've got to get back on track. Even the idea that the Galatians would try to live righteously in the flesh is actually no better. It's still in the flesh and not by the Spirit. They needed to be reminded of their first love. They needed to be realigned to the heart of the Father. I just want to ask you to think about this for a moment. This is the beautiful gift. Every single one of these points is an incredible point of blessing. It's an incredible gift. This first one is that God has actually built in to the human condition and the relationship that we enjoy with him, the capacity to have a realignment of our heart with him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. So as you, as you reflect on that for just a moment, you think about this. Think about how beautiful is the invitation to come back to your first love. Repentance realigns our heart with the heart of the Father. So he's not telling the Galatians that that their cause is a lost cause. He's just trying to correct them with the same kind of love that a parent would show to their child. We don't throw our kids out when they disappoint us. In fact, parenting is a great example of a way in which we can love deeply even a person who disappoints us mightily. And that's what Paul's experiencing with the Galatians. He says, you're you're foolish. Who's bewitched you? You're missing out. You're trying to complete in the flesh that which God began in the spirit. You need to repent of that. You need to be realigned with the heart of the Father. How do we do that? Well, this, this is beautiful. I'm telling you, this is such a gift. You remember what Revelation 2 says? Let me, let me read a couple verses to you. I know you're enduring patiently. I know you're bearing up for my name's sake, but I've got this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Get back on track with life in the Spirit. And this is what Paul's saying to the Galatians. You can't complete it in the flesh. Get back on track with life in the spirit. That is how God is going to complete the good work that he has begun in you. Paul is calling the Galatians back to the beginning. Retrace your steps. Remember your first love. Acknowledge the tendency of your heart to wander. And start anew. Friends, that is incredibly, incredibly good news. I don't know about you, sometimes I get discouraged, sometimes I get stretched too thin, sometimes I just get tired, I get frustrated, you know, the whole, I get doubtful. Uh, sometimes I have a hard time seeing where God is or what he's doing, and in those moments, one of the things that has become such a gift is you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, you need to go back and do the things that you used to do. And oftentimes, God takes me back to the seasons of my life where he was active and he was stirring, he was challenging me. Sometimes they're painful seasons, oftentimes very, very good seasons, though. I remember being 19 years old and sitting out on the front porch in the summertime. I was working a a late job, so I wouldn't get back until 11, at night, and I would sit down, the stars, I mean, something about the stars in the summertime and uh, the the coolness of those, those nights and just sitting with God's word and just praying like just, just learning to pray like I had never learned before. 
It was a spiritual renaissance time in my life. It was God stirring. He was calling me forward. He was calling me to new steps of obedience. I was journaling all kinds of thoughts. I was writing notes on scripture because I was beginning to have a hunger for God that I never had before. And no one seeks God on their own. So I know that that was a work of the spirit of God. So sometimes when I'm in those places where I'm just feeling a little distant, distracted, despondent, whatever, I go back to the faithfulness of God. Can anybody, does that resonate with anybody? Some of you need to go back maybe this week. You know, take a little field trip. It's a, it's a good thing to go back, to remember the things that God has taught us. And so here we see repentance that realigns uh, our heart with the heart of the Savior. And, and Paul is saying to the Galatians, uh, don't try to finish in the flesh what God has begun in the Spirit. I've got a couple more points to go to, so I'm, I'm going to just leave it at that and, and let the Holy Spirit kind of work that into your heart here this week. If you continue to read in Galatians 3, verse 7 says this. Read along with me, if you will. It says, Know then that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed, so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For those who rely on the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. We've just looked at a repentance that realigns our heart with the heart of the Father. I wanna look with you now in the second point of the spirit that brings life. And you're gonna to begin to see why this is so critically important to Paul. Why he doesn't just let this go and say, well, you know, they're trying to do some, finish some things in the flesh, whatever. At least they're working on good things. He doesn't say that at all. He cautions them severely saying like, don't try to do it this way. Why is that? Because Paul is convinced that it is the Spirit of God alone that brings life and that brings rejuvenation. He references the belief of Abraham, and that takes us back to Genesis 12, referencing one of the oldest promises in the Bible, incidentally, where the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And here's exactly what he's referencing in Galatians. He says, Abraham believed and that was why, by faith, he was able to set out. It was always the action following the faith and the belief. So he's calling the Galatians to that, using that as an example. The, the blessing to Abraham was, I'm going to make you into a great nation. His name was Abram at the time. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And from Genesis 12, all the way to the end of the Bible, we see this theme of God's promise unfolding, that theme and that seed of blessing that will ultimately lead to the Messiah and ultimately lead to all people and all nations, all tongues, tribes, uh, coming into the family of God and singing his praises. These are the people that Paul is trying to reach, Paul the great missionary to the Gentiles. So he's tying all of this together and saying it is the Spirit that brings life. Now I want to just give you one other example here on this point. In Romans 7, Paul talks about a delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. 
Wretched man that I am, this is Romans 7.24, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you could kind of gloss over that and say, okay, I get it. He's, he's struggling and he needs to be delivered and everything like that. But this is, this is essentially what Paul is saying here. The works of the flesh, even the good ones, are powerless to save you. You say, well, I can't, I can't add up. You know I mean? I, I, I did at least X amount of good things or whatever. And Paul, this is the same Paul who said, look, my righteousness is dirty rags. In terms of standing before a holy God, even my righteousness is nothing. It's no good at all. In fact, the description that he gives is this, this, this law that is at work in me and this binding me and, and revealing in me my own sin and my own fallenness. And then in almost desperation, he cries out, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And this would have been a very captivating example because for some of his readers, and maybe many of them, uh, they would be aware of certain Roman authorities who were infamous in a very sadistic manner, particularly in dealing with criminals. How many of you have heard the body of death uh, Roman torture example before? It's awful. If you have lunch plans, just, well, anyway. Uh, most people are familiar with the gruesome and inhumane practice of crucifixion, but many consider another method of punishment maybe even more shocking and appalling, one meted out by Roman tyrants, most frequently upon murderers, and this is what they would do. If a person was convicted of murder, they would take the corpse of the murdered body and they would shackle the living murderer to it, hand to hand, foot to foot, body to body, face to face. And that was your life sentence until the putrefaction of the body that you were responsible for essentially infected you to the point of you dying a gruesome and awful death. Let's go eat lunch. Now, here's, here's, what, I want, here's what I want you to try to get your mind around because I think this is really important. Why doesn't Paul just let it go? Why doesn't Paul just say to the Galatians, hey, at least you're doing some good things, it's not bad. He's literally saying this. Your efforts to save yourself, essentially to beat the system and to, to beat the law of God that nobody was able to fulfill. The law served its purpose in that it showed us the standard of God and it showed us our complete inability to, to meet that standard. And so now Paul is actually using this kind of example to say, who will deliver me from this body of death? What's he talking about? He's talking about his own attempts to be righteous. This is the same chapter, incidentally, where he says, the things I wanna do, I don't do. The things I don't wanna do, I do. And we, we read that and we go, I get it, because you do get it, because it's your old nature. And in desperation, Paul's reaching, he's, he's crying out, and he's saying, who will deliver me from this body of death shackled to his victim eye to eye hand to hand waist to waist foot to foot the murderer still very much alive was forced to live out the remainder of his life directly bearing the weight and the putrefying stench of the dead body in time the rotting flesh of the corpse would become rife with disease infecting the killer leading to the most horrible and grisly end that's awful so when Paul is saying live by the spirit he's not saying like 
if you feel like it. He's saying it's the spirit that brings life. And this takes us into our third point and uh, another very good news for us. And it is this, Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, this is where the gospel actually becomes, this is just very practical teaching on Paul's part. He wants his readers to know this. He wants you to know this through time immemorial, that Christ has become the curse for you. And in becoming the curse, he says, anybody who hung on a tree is cursed. That's an Old Testament reference as well. Christ has become the curse for us so that we might walk in the blessing of God. This is the celebration of the finished work of Jesus. I want to give one sort of last example on this, so vitally important for us. This is why, this is why Paul is saying, it's got to be the life in the Spirit. It's got to be the life in the Spirit. The reason that we pray and we're asking for the Spirit of God to move among us and to be at work in us is that if we don't have the Spirit of God, what are we left with? We're left with our best efforts. And then who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Okay? So we've been given the Spirit of God that brings life. This is a wonderful gift. And we have been given the Savior that breaks the curse. The curse of sin is death. Spiritual death, physical death. Now, here's, here's an, an interesting thing that happened to me yesterday. Uh, yesterday, um, several of our family members got together, and we climbed Mount Nittany um, as a, uh, to have a memorial service and to spread the ashes of my grandfather who passed away. I passed away during COVID, and so we weren't really able to do a whole lot of gathering and getting together at that time. And so some time has gone by, and, and we had a sweet time of remembering him and honoring his legacy uh, up on the top of Mount Nittany. Now, I think this was the first time in my life I've ever actually spread ashes of somebody before, but each of the family members had an opportunity to take a cup of ashes and, and spread them. That is a sobering moment. When you hold in your hand the white kind of sandy ashes that is the reduction of a person that you once loved. And it got me thinking a little bit. It is a sobering thing to see a person's physical life reduced to dust and ashes, but it also forces us to think about the things that really matter, right? In fact, when I shared with the family, because I helped with some of the memorial stuff, I said, you know, this may have been Pop-Pop's greatest gift to us is that you are forced now to think a little bit about things like legacy, direction, eternity. And you're thinking about some of these things in light. Now, for if you're in Christ today, in light of repentance that realigns your heart, a spirit that brings us life, and a Savior that breaks the curse. You see, the curse is not simply uh, or ultimately for our comfort now in this life or the breaking of the curse, but it is for our eternity with him that we live in light of that curse being broken. So I'm standing there on the top of Mount Nittany and I'm holding my, 
the ashes of my loved one in my hand and I'm thinking a little bit about my life. And I'm thinking a little bit about the gratitude that says that Jesus has set me free from the curse, which is ultimately that my life really doesn't matter or amount to anything. That my destiny is an eternity apart from him. But instead, because of the finished work and because of the life of the Spirit and because we have a Savior that breaks the curse, we have this beautiful clue in this passage that wakes us up and it calls us back and it keeps us from the bondage of religion even as it invites us into the very life of Christ. So Paul's writing to the Galatians and he's saying, I love you too much to let you miss this. And we preach this message to you because we love you too much to let you miss this. This is a beautiful look at the finished work of Christ. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But it has been offered to us for right standing. Who's going to rescue me from this awful body of death that is destined for destruction in every way? Praise be to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has become the curse for us to break the curse for us. Today, what I'd like you to do, uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're just going to do a a real quick prayer response, but I I would like to ask you to to focus in on this. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. Um, You can read about the gospel, you can study the gospel, you can learn about the gospel, you can go through all of these kind of steps or whatever. At some point, the, the gospel either becomes personal to you or it does not right? How many of you would say, yes, the gospel is personal to me? A lot lot of us that are here, right? Some of us, maybe you're trying to figure out. Maybe you're not sure. If you are at a place today that you would say, well, I don't know that I have ever made the gospel message and the finished work of Christ personal to me, I'm going to give you four very simple prayers uh, that you can have the opportunity to take those before the Lord and make it personal to you. Uh, if you are walking in Christ today, you've committed your heart and your life to Jesus, here's the joy about the gospel. It's the gospel that saves us. It's the gospel that sustains, sustains us. It's the gospel that sanctifies us and keeps us moving forward. So you're not off the hook today. Uh, we're going to give you this as well to receive and to be able to make this uh, declarative statement together. So here is statement number one that I'm going to ask you to make as a prayer response. Number one, and you can even put, this, put your hands out like this if this is something you want to just as a sign of receiving. Number one, I am justified before God because of the finished work of Christ. I wonder if you have ever made that that statement. Those are words to live by. I am justified before God because of the finished work of Christ. You can take a moment right now and say, Lord, I want to make that prayer my own. I want to own that. I don't want to know about that. I want to live that. I want to make that personal. So that's number one. Just take a moment and and dwell on that. I'm justified before God because of the finished work of Christ. Someone said to me after the first service, you went through those things too fast. I couldn't write them all down. I said, don't worry about writing them down. Worry about praying them now. I'll put them in the letter to you tomorrow and then you you can have them in your notes or something like that. But right now, just pray that. I'm justified before God because of the finished work of Christ. Number two, Jesus became the curse for me so that I could walk in the blessing of God. I wonder if you've ever made that personal statement. Just acknowledging it. Jesus has become the curse for me so that I might walk in the blessing of God. And maybe even as you reflect on that, a little bit of gratitude begins to well up in your heart. It didn't have to be that way. 
Such is the gracious goodness of our God. Jesus became the curse for me so that I, would not, I could walk in the blessing of God. Uh, number three, this is an equipping one. I want you to receive this today. I am filled with the Spirit of God and I live by the Spirit and not by my works. That's Galatians 101 right there. I am filled with the Spirit of God and I live by the Spirit and not by my works. That's a powerful statement. You dwell on that. You receive that. That's an equipping uh, statement, an equipping prayer. Give yourself a moment to really dwell on that. And then we're going to give you number four. And this is a great one. I, 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 want, to hear, I want to hear an amen. Some of you aren't amen people, but mo- most of you can get an amen out. I think you're going to be ready to say amen for this one, okay? Here's number four. Not just that I'm justified before God and finished work of Christ. That Jesus became the curse for me so I could walk in the blessing of God. I'm filled with the Spirit of God and I live by the Spirit, not by my works. Here's number four. Ready for this? God is not done working on me. What can you say about that? Yeah, that's the, this is the joy. Right? This, this is the joy of, of wor- working out the finished work of Christ. God's not done working on me. All right, so I'm sort of a mess sometimes. Well, guess what? God's not done working on me. I got it wrong. Well, God's not done working on me. I fell short and I need to repent again. You know, somebody told me this. It's just such a beautiful, it's a, such a beautiful conversation. They said, Pastor, when you preached about repentance being a realignment of my heart with God, I began to actually see that as a joyful thing. And it is a joyful thing. The realignment of my heart with God. Why? Because God's not done working on me yet. So if you're receiving those statements today, you're praying those statements, so trust that they will anchor you just a little bit. This is Galatians 101. This is getting you in step with the Spirit. Lord, we need to learn. We need to grow. We need your help. We need your Spirit. Otherwise, we're stuck with our best efforts. We already know that's not enough. Thank you, Jesus, that you have become the curse for us so that we can walk in the blessing of God. Thank you, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit and we live by your spirit, not by our works. Thank you that you're not done working on us today. We receive that today. Uh, In response to that, uh, we're gonna simply sing a song that declares very beautifully the work that Christ has done for us. So team, would you lead us forward? And uh, church, would you sing out with lots lots of gusto and volume in your heart today? Uh, in light of the finished work that Christ has done for you. Receive that with joy.